If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3 will be our text this Lord's Day as we continue to walk through God's Word together here at Bloomfield Baptist Church. In the last couple of weeks I've started out our time with a quote that I'll read you again today from author Patrick Morley that describes the difference between the God we want and the God who is. Morley writes this, There is the God we want and there is a God who is and they are not the same God. And the turning point in our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and we start seeking the God who is. So we've been walking through First Samuel. We've talked about the, the way we know the God who is is by coming to the revealed word of God where God tells us who he is. That this God, this creator, this sovereign has revealed to us who he is and how we might rightly know him and worship him. And he does that through his revealed word. And what we'll see today is the importance of our need to obey God's word, to listen to God's word, to trust God's word. Now, again, the context here. The story began there in 1 Samuel with Hannah's story here. And Hannah was barren and didn't have any children. And so she cries out to the Lord for a child and tells the Lord if he will give her a child, a boy, that she'll commit that boy to the Lord's service. And God does that. God gives her a son. And then she returns to the temple a few years later after the child is weaned to commit that child to the Lord's service. And we understand as we've been looking through 1 Samuel that this was a dark time for the people of Israel. And this was a dark time in the temple because the priest in the temple, Eli's sons, the scripture says they were worthless, that they didn't know the Lord, and that they were participating in all types of sinful practices. But what God was doing during this dark time is he was raising up one who would spread the light of God's word, that he was raising up Samuel in the midst of this darkness. And so Samuel is brought there to the temple. Now Samuel is growing. Uh, by the time we now get to chapter 3, we don't know Samuel's exact age, uh, but he's probably a young, uh, young boy, perhaps even a young teenager at this point. And he's been serving there in the temple of the Lord, but he yet to hear the voice of the Lord. And he didn't recognize that voice when he first hears it because hey, he had not heard it before. And yet he is willing and ready to serve the Lord in whatever way that he might call him to do. And so the picture we have in 1 Samuel is a picture that we see often in the scripture. A picture of darkness, but God is about to speak into the darkness. And it's the very picture we have in Genesis chapter 1 in creation, where we see darkness and we see void. And what does God do? God speaks into that darkness and then there's light. Well, we're going to see the light shine now of God's word as we consider 1 Samuel chapter 3. So out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to this morning, if you would stand as I read 1 Samuel chapter 3 for us. And this is what God's word says. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. 
But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew. Because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. If you'll pray with me. Father, do what only you can do, please. Help us, Lord, like we see Samuel here, to be attentive to your word. Help us to hear it. Help us to listen to it. Help us to obey it. Help us to trust. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I read a recent study by the American Bible Society in which they said that they estimate nine out of every ten American households owns a Bible. That means that if you walk up to a hundred random homes in Nelson County and you knock on the door that at least 90 of them Uh, likely have a Bible in that home. In fact, the same study said that of the households that had a Bible, uh, that those households usually had three to four Bibles in them. Now, that may not surprise us in Nelson County. That may be more surprising in different parts of the country. But as they did a nationwide survey, this is what they found, is that about nine out of every ten households had at least one Bible in them. Let me ask you a question. 
If you were to do that, if you were to knock on 100 doors in Nelson County, if you were to ask if they had a Bible, if the overwhelming majority of them said they did, how do you think they would respond if you then asked them, when's the last time you read it? How much do you know about it? Can, can you tell me how many books are in it? Can, can you tell me the, the central point of it, the themes of it? Hey, if you were to ask about chapter and verse, how many of those households would say to you, oh yes, I've spent time studying, I've spent time reading, and I can answer those questions. And I think most of them would not be able to do that. In fact, another study I read found that out of Christians, people who claim to be Christians... 75% said they rarely or never read their Bible. Now this is problematic for us because on one hand, we have Bibles all around us. But at the same time, we are in the midst of a spiritual famine. It's as if we are a nation that is starving and yet we have full pantries. And so what I want us to do this morning is to open up the pantry. What I want us to do this morning is to consider the riches that God has given us through His Word. Our problem is not a lack of having Bibles. Our problem is a lack of opening up those Bibles that we have. And so this morning, with our Bibles open, I want us to consider what God reveals to us through His Word as we walk through 1 Samuel 3. And we'll begin with that first point in your outline, this emphasis we see that we need to listen to God's Word. It's not enough just to own it. It's not enough just to have it. It's not enough just to have multiple copies of it. The question is, are we actually listening to what God has said to us through His Word? And notice what we see here in 1 Samuel. Verse 1 there we read, In this time, in this day, that the Word of the Lord was rare in those days, for there was no frequent vision. Now we're at a point in biblical history when they obviously do not have the canon of Scripture, the, the full Bible you have in front of you this morning. And most of this is not taking place at this point in time. And they don't have even what has taken place up to that point in time written in before them. And so they are relying on the word of the Lord coming to them through the prophets and on the word of the Lord that has come through prophets before being passed down to them. And so God would speak to men like Moses who he gave his law to, and then Moses was the mediator who would go to God's people on behalf of God. And then God would speak to, or Moses would speak to God on behalf of the people. He was the mediator. He was the one who shared God's word with the people. But these were dark days in Israel. We've talked about already, this was the period of the judges. See, what had happened is God had brought his people through the Exodus. He had given them his word. He had brought them into the promised land. But then a generation came that did not remember the word of God. We read in Judges chapter 2 verse 10 that after Joshua and his generation, there arose another generation. And after them who did not know the Lord and the work that he had done in Israel. And that's why we find multiple times in the book of Judges that statement. They did what was right in their own eyes. They had forgotten the word of God or they had rebelled against it. The word had been revealed to them, but they didn't want to hear it and they turned from it. And so what we see now is we're at a point in Israel's history where he's given the word. They've not listened to the word. So now God is holding his word back from them. See, what we find Revealed in God's word, what we find is that when God's people don't listen to him, 
there's times then when God stops speaking. When they refuse to listen to what he's already said, he doesn't give further revelation. We see other dark points in biblical history like what takes place in the book of Amos. And we read this in Amos 8.11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And that's what's taking place in Israel during 1 Samuel as we begin our study here in these early chapters. There's a famine in the land, not of bread, not of water. It's a famine of the word. People weren't listening to it, so God stopped giving it. There's darkness. But now God is going to speak to Samuel. And so as we walk through this passage, we see again that Eli and Samuel are ministering in the temple. The picture of Eli here is he's an old man. And we know from other passages that Eli was one that God had received the word of God, but he had not rightly responded to the word of God. In fact, as God rebukes Eli in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, we see very clearly that Eli should have confronted his sons and their sins, and their sins much sooner, but he refused to do that. And even when he confronts them, he does it very lightly. And so he had not fulfilled the office he was given. He had not done the job God had given him to do. And so now God is going to give that job to someone else. He's raising up Samuel. And so here we hear we see Samuel hearing this voice and he doesn't quite know what to do. He assumes this voice he hears is Eli. He goes and wakes up Eli. Eli says it's not him. And as they go through this encounter multiple times, Eli begins to understand, oh, wait, this is the Lord speaking to Samuel. Now, you might ask, well, why wouldn't Samuel know that? Well, we read very clearly in verse seven. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And we saw a similar statement, not knowing the Lord, applied to Eli's sons in chapter 2. The scripture says they were worthless and they did not know the Lord. But that's a different context. They are speaking of two men who had been given the word, who had refused the word, who were living in sin... And therefore, they did not have the right relationship with God they should have had. Here, applied to Samuel, is basically saying he hadn't gotten to a point in his ministry yet where he'd heard a word from God. So he didn't know what to do when he heard it. He didn't know how to recognize that voice. So Eli begins to understand this and he he speaks with Samuel and he tells him that this, I believe, is the Lord speaking to you. So next time he speaks, here's how you are to respond. Verse 9, he tells Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And so the picture we have here in 1 Samuel 3, very simply, is this. We have a picture of Samuel being ready and willing to listen to the word of God. Which I believe should prompt us with this question. Are you listening to God's word today? Are you ready to hear from God? I'm not asking, are you asking God to come in an audible voice? We're not in the age of the church now where we're prophets. We're not at a time when you and I are the mediators and God's sharing his word with us to go tell others. No, we have the finished word of God, the full word of God in front of us. But the question remains, are we listening to it? Are we ready to hear from it? We have all this access to God's word. 
And yet we live in a day of spiritual famine because we're not listening. Are you listening to God's word? And that's where it begins. And then second, we're called point two to obey God's word. And now Samuel has a better understanding of what's happening. So, so he stops and he listens to what God has to say to him. So the Lord comes to Samuel a fourth time here and then Samuel listens And then notice what it is that the Lord tells Samuel. That this is the first time Samuel hears a revelation from God. And what is that revelation? It's a revelation of God's coming judgment. God shares with Samuel about all that Eli has done and and the wrath that is coming against Eli's house. We've already read this and seen this in chapter 2. God had already revealed this to Eli himself. But now God is making this clear to Samuel. Why? Well, I think in part it's because God is raising up Samuel to be faithful where Eli was not. I think he's showing Samuel here the seriousness of sin and the consequence of sin. That that wickedness has a consequence and there's a consequence coming on Eli's family. And so Samuel hears this word as a young man. He's been raised now in this temple by Eli. Certainly he probably reveres Eli to some extent. And the first word that God gives him is that I'm bringing my wrath against Eli and his house. So notice his response in verse 15. It says, Samuel lay until morning. And then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Now, why do you think Samuel was afraid? You might think of it this way. Which part of God's word would you rather share with someone? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Or, a few chapters earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Which of those would you rather share with someone? I mean, there's a reason that only one of those passages is cross-stitched on pillows. There's one of those that's a lot easier for us to hear and a lot easier for us to share. And yet, friends, they are both the word of God. And we are called as followers of Jesus not to stand on God's word in part, but to stand on it as a whole. And we are called to share not just a few selective cross-stitch verses with people, but the whole counsel of God's word. And if we rightly do that, then that means we take sin seriously and we share with others about what God's word says in regards to sin and the consequence of sin. And so you can see where this would have been difficult for Samuel Because basically he's been given a word of judgment to pass on to Eli. But friends, we've been given a word like that as well. Consider, for example, what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 18, where he speaks of a brother sinning against us. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15, we read, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now think about that for a moment. 
If someone sins against you in the church today, a brother or sister of the faith, what's God's word tell you to do? Go and tell them alone. But what do we normally do? When someone sins against you, when they wrong you, well, what's our normal first response? Do we go to that person and confront them? Or do we go and talk to a lot of other people about it? (laughs) Then we go and share with others. Well, you won't believe what so-and-so did. Now, you won't believe what happened here. Or maybe, let's just assume y'all are more spiritual than me. You you pray about it with other people. We need to pray for so-and-so because you won't believe what they said or did. So often what we do is rather than go to Matthew 18, uh, we just go to how we think we should handle it. We go to talk to everybody else. And many times in doing that, we never actually talk to the person who committed the sin. And when we don't do that, then we miss out on the opportunity that Jesus is giving us in Matthew 18 to gain that brother back. Because the reason we are to go to him and him alone and not share it with the whole church is because if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Friends, you and I are flawed people. We are messed up people. We are sinful people. And if you spend more than three nanoseconds with another person in this church, you're going to see sin in their life or they're going to see sin in your life. And the way God has designed the church and the body to function is that as we see that sin, that that we don't just judge the person, that we don't just go talk to everybody else about it, but we go to them and we rightly, lovingly speak the truth in love about their sin. Why? That they might be gained back. Meaning that they might rightly at that point repent and trust in Christ. And then we just keep walking in the Lord together. Of course, that's not always how it works out. And that's why Jesus goes on to say, if he doesn't listen, take one or two others with you. So step two, this person hasn't listened to this confrontation about sin. Now you're taking others with you. So there might be evidence of two or three witnesses. And then if they refuse to listen to that group, you tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, then they are to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. A Gentile was someone who was born outside the people of God. A tax collector was someone born with inside the people of God who chose to live like someone who was outside the people of God. And isn't that what we do when we persist in our sin? When we decide we don't want to live like those in the body are called to live, we want to live like the world and we pull ourselves away. And so this process that Jesus gives us in Matthew 18, that the goal of it is to win a brother or sister in the faith. The goal of it is to see them restored to right fellowship with God. But it starts with us understanding our responsibility to call sin, sin. And woe to us when we don't. Judgment was coming against Eli's house, whether Samuel shared with him or not. God was bringing that judgment And Samuel scared to say something about it. But that judgment was coming one way or the other. Friends, there's a judgment of God that's rightly going to fall on the unrighteous. Whether we talk to them or not. The most loving thing we can do is not to passively sit back and wait for that judgment to fall. The most loving thing we can do is to speak the truth in love. That we might win a brother back. We need to listen to God's word and we need to obey God's word in this way. And we need to call others to obedience as well that we might rightly walk with God. So that then third, we might trust in God's word. And so we see this play out where 
Samuel's received this word of judgment from God. He has now shared this word of judgment with Eli. You notice Eli's response to that in verse 18. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Well, we don't really know Eli's heart here. On one hand, he could be at a point of brokenness where he's just saying God is God and God will do as God's going to do and I'm going to trust in him. Or it may be that he just kind of passively is saying, well, God's going to do whatever he thinks is good for him. But either way, we see the judgment of God is coming against Eli's family. And we see in the midst of this darkness that God is raising up one who will share the light in Samuel. And notice as Samuel comes really to this first test In his ministry, he passes, he confronts and he shares with Eli about this judgment that's coming. And God really blesses Samuel as he grows him and his knowledge of him. Verse 19, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all that of Israel knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again to him and he revealed himself to him. And there's this consistency by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord. And so the picture we have in 1 Samuel chapter 3 of Samuel is is one of someone who trusted in the word of God. And he trusted in all of it. And friends, that's what we're called to do today as well. To trust in all of it. The foundation of Samuel's ministry was the word of God. And the foundation for all that we do here at Bloomfield Baptist Church needs to be the word of God. Both 1 Corinthians 13 about love and 1 Corinthians 6 about sin and judgment. It's the foundation of the church today and without it we cannot stand. I've had a lot of conversation in recent weeks and months with other pastors as we've tried to navigate through this whole COVID-19 pandemic crisis or whatever other words you want to apply to it today and I've talked to pastors of churches much smaller than ours. I had lunch with a pastor whose church is less than a dozen people. I've talked to pastors of churches much larger than ours. I had lunch with a pastor just this last week who's the pastor of one of the campuses of a church that numbers well over 15,000 people. And in all of these conversations, I found a consistency. And the consistency is this, that in recent months, because of all that's gone on, there's a lot of things that churches have stopped doing, or at least paused in doing. And we've not been doing all the children's activities and student activities, not had the camps and the trips and the conferences, not had the gatherings for young adults and senior adults. And and all these things that we often associate with the church, no choir rehearsals and no choir performances and and so many things that in churches, big or small and ours included, we, we just can't do right now or we've not done right now. But the consistency from the church of 12 to the church of 12,000 that I found is this. They've all been able to continue to preach the word of God. And we've been able to do that here at Bloomfield Baptist. Well, we've been able in some form to get the word of God out. And now we're able to gather and, and, and preach God's word. And I hope you understand how foundational that is to what the church is called to be. Because all of those other things, while they may be good and may have good points to them, that they're not going to get us across the finish line of the faith. But this is what will. We need the Word of God and it is our sure and steady foundation. But here's what you will see. 
More weeks will go by and months and perhaps years. And we will get to whatever our new normal is. But it will never be like it was. Because there were people that were coming just for all those other things. And when we boil it down to being a people who gather to hear God's word preached and to sing two or three hymns, they have little to no interest in that because that's not why they were here before. And we're going to see that at Bloomfield and we're going to see that around the world. God is sifting his people today. He is separating the wheat from the weeds. The question for you and I today is which one of those are we? Are we a people who want to hear this word? We, we want to listen to it. We want to obey it. We, we want to trust in it all the more. Are we just watching our calendars until all that other stuff comes back that we really enjoy doing? I hope for us here at Bloomfield Baptist Church that we will answer that with a resounding, unified answer that we want to be a people of the word and a people who trust in the word. And so that's our response today. We're going to sing about trusting in the word. The word made flesh is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we're going to sing about what a sweet thing it is to trust in Jesus. And I hope that your trust is in Jesus today. You know, God has a way through suffering through times of trial and turmoil of really bringing us down to this foundational question of are we truly trusting in Jesus or not? When everything else is taken away, are we really trusting in Christ? This hymn we're going to sing, I've shared the story of how it was written before, but it's worth sharing again. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus was written by Louisa Stead. She was born in England in 1850, moved to the United States 21 years later, and at a camp meeting in Ohio, she heard the gospel and she dedicated her life, not just to the lordship of Jesus, she dedicated her life to taking Jesus to the nations. And so as she prepared for this life of ministry, she was married, her and her husband started a family, and one day uh, her and her husband and their four-year-old daughter went to the coastline for a picnic and as they were eating they saw a young boy struggling in the water. Louisa's husband quickly responded by jumping in the water and going after the boy's cries but in a tragedy of tragedies both he and the boy drowned to death that day. You can imagine the turmoil and the strife that came in this woman's life who was preparing to give her all for the Lord and go to the mission field. And now it seemed her all was taken from her. It's in those moments that we find out what our foundation is. And this is what she found as she wrote these words shortly after her husband died. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know thus saith the Lord. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus, simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. I'm so glad I learned to trust thee. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend, 
And I know that thou art with me, will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Friend, are you trusting in him today? You can't trust him and refuse to obey him. Are you trusting in him today? You cannot trust him and refuse to listen to him. Are you trusting in him? And if you are, you know whatever befalls you, it is a sweet thing to do. So let's stand together as I pray for us. And then let's sing these words about trusting in Jesus together. Father God, I thank you for the testimony of Louisa Stead and the trust that she had in Jesus in the midst of such loss. And that might not be our story this morning, Lord, but there are a lot of stories here. There are a lot of folks who have experienced a lot of losses. There are a lot of people here who had no idea that this is where life would bring them this Lord's Day, August 2nd. 2020. I pray, God, in this moment that we truly would be a people who trust in Christ, that that we would not be like so many in the world, so, so many, sadly, in the church today who just go through the motions and go through services and sit through sermons, but don't actually listen to your word. I pray, God, that your word would do what you intended to do, that it would cut to our hearts and call us to repentance and faith. And in that repentance and faith, I pray we would be a people that would obey you. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning who, who is under conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. They, they know that their life is not pleasing to you. They know that they're living in disobedience to your word. God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you bring them to repentance, to turn from that sin and to trust in you. And Lord, would you help us all to do that? Wherever we're at, whatever it may be that's going on in our life today, would you help us to be a people who trust in you? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.